the advisors are getting better at what they do. They're going deeper with their clients, doing a much better job of profiling and gathering those assets. A trusted advisor is someone my clients and my friends and families and my clients can lean on for advice and education. More importantly, it's to teach them and educate them how to grow and save money consistently. But at the same time, being an advisor, we're mitigating those losses. That's how I kind of look at the trusted advisor from a company standpoint, from a branch partnership standpoint, and from the client standpoint. This is the hardest job you'll ever have, or it'll be the easiest job you'll ever have. Easiest meaning you'll have a defined process and you're sticking to it day in and day out. Hardest job you'll ever have because you have to be consistent literally every day. I speak about process on a daily basis because I do believe that's what separates the good advisors from the also-ran. Hello, and welcome to BISA Industry Trend Watch podcast. Good to have you with us today. Industry Trend Watch is a monthly series with industry leaders discussing trends in the financial institutions channel. Productivity trending is provided by our bankchannelresearch.com portal, an interactive tool that reports on channel performance based on data collected monthly from over 50 financial institutions. In addition to industry trends, you will hear our guests provide their perspectives on the evolving strategic initiatives that are driving success and enabling our channel to better compete in the broader financial services industry. But first, we'd like to thank Ameriprise for making these podcasts possible. And as a show of appreciation, let's please listen to this brief message. This is Chris Melton, National Director of the Ameriprise Financial Institutions Group. Ameriprise Financial Institution Group is a proud sponsor of the BISA Monthly Industry Trending Podcast Series. With more than 25 years of experience and knowledge in serving the investment program needs of local banks and credit unions, Ameriprise Financial Institution Group brings a depth of understanding as well as investment capabilities to help clients and members feel more confident, connected, and in control of their financial life. We look forward to learning more about your financial institution and sharing how a successful investment program can be a competitive advantage. Call us at 800-679-1237 or visit us at Ameriprise.com slash AFIG. Securities offered by Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Not federally insured, no financial institution guarantee, may lose value. Thank you. Hello and welcome to BISA Trend Watch. I am Scott Stathis. I will be your host along with Bob Mattel, who will introduce himself in a minute. So we're recording this in July of 2022. And while we will discuss what our channel has experienced during the second quarter of this year, our primary focus will be on where the rubber meets the road, essentially. So that's advisor best practices. This episode is called Being a Trusted Advisor, and we will dissect what that means. So to do that, we have two panelists, one a successful advisor and the other a successful sales manager. They will introduce themselves shortly. But first, Bob, let me pass it to you to introduce yourself. Well, thanks, Scott. I am Bob Mattel. I am the co-host of this podcast. And welcome again to the BISA Industry Trend Watch. We're calling this the hazy, hot, humid heat wave edition because wherever you are, it's probably 95 degrees and humid. Let's see where it is when you're actually listening to this, because this is probably recorded one week before you're actually listening to. So today, as always, we have a great panel. 
that we thank and appreciate for joining us today. And we'd also like to thank the BISA for their partnership on these podcasts, along with Ameriprise. And for all things BISA, go to bisanet.org. Now, for the moment you've been waiting for, let's get our panel. So sit back, relax, get a cold beverage, and enjoy. From North Georgia, we have Lyle. Thank you for having me. Yes, financial advisor with Regions Bank located in North Georgia. And from the great state of Florida, we have Alex. Hey, Bob and Scott, thanks for having us. I'm in one of those places where it's always hot and humid, St. Petersburg, Florida. I'm the regional sales manager for Regions Bank. I cover everything from Miami all the way up to Indiana. Excellent. I'm in New York today where it's also obviously hazy, hot, and humid. And now let's go to Scott up in Massachusetts for our first question. All right. So, so you guys, let's, let's start with what we've experienced in the first quarter as a channel, and then we'll dive into the trusted advisor subject. So we just wrapped up collecting and assessing the data from not the first quarter, I'm sorry, the second quarter of this year. And even though we're dealing with a lot of volatility, we see some impressive trending as we closed out the data collection. So productivity in our channel is up slightly year to date when compared to last year. Quarterly revenue is up from last year and also up from the same quarter last year. So it's up from last quarter and it's up year over year from the same quarter last year. And advisor productivity is still very robust. So, I mean, obviously we're not in an easy environment, but we're still doing well. So what do you make of that? given the environment we are in, and how does that parallel with your experiences at Regions, and what do you guys foresee going forward for the balance of this year, maybe into next year? Alex, you want to kick us off? Sure, Scott. You know, I think about that, and I think, well, you can throw volatility at us, but you threw COVID at us, and we continued to grow through COVID, so volatility is really, really nothing. Our business is up about 10% this year, and I think that's twofold. I think the advisors are getting better at what they do. They're going deeper with their clients, doing a much better job of profiling and gathering those assets. The other thing that we have to our advantage is we have a platform. So we have over 2,000 licensed bankers that sell fixed annuities. And that business is up significantly this year. Rates are up. Fixed annuity rates are up over 4%. So we've seen that business grow. And the partnership between our platform and our financial advisors has never been better. So if there are deeper needs, the financial advisor gets involved and, and they do a joint appointment with their customer. So the synergy between our platform and our financial advisor program is fantastic. The other thing that I would add to that is we work in a bank. So when volatility strikes, money comes home. So we're getting a lot more at bats as well. And I think the rest of the year, you'll continue to see that trend of good, solid growth. Like I said, our business is up close to 10%. And I think you'll see that continue through the end of the year. Well, I want to hear your thoughts too. But first, Alex, let me just ask you a question about the platform program. So your platform program is a selling platform program, correct? It is a selling platform program. We look at it two ways. So we have, like I said, over 2,000 licensed bankers. Of those 2,000 licensed bankers, we look at as, do you sell or do you refer or you do both? So we look at participation as the combination of either selling or referring. Most certainly, if they're with a customer and the need is a fixed annuity, they can most definitely sell. And then some point down the line, we'll introduce that customer to a financial advisor and get deeper with the customer. But point of sale, they most absolutely can sell. If they see a deeper need right there, 
they refer it and we track that as well. So it's, it's both a selling and referring program. And I think it's from an optimization standpoint, works very well for us. So the wrestling match in the industry in our channel is always with platform programs. Should we have one? Should we not? If we do, should they be referral only or should they be selling? You guys have stuck with a selling platform program for a while and it's working well for you, obviously, right? Yeah, it's been the foundation of our program. And we expect the financial advisors to kind of help us manage that at the branch level. I'm sure Lyle will pick up on this. Lyle is one who has fantastic relationships with all of his licensed bankers. So whether they sell or they refer to him, he knows exactly what's going on with that client. They're working in unison together. So it's one of the challenges, as you know, Scott, is when you have a platform program, is it competing with your financial advisor program? Ours works hand in hand with each other. Cool. All right. So Lyle, so on all of the above, now you have a lot of meat to chew on there, right? So let me get your thoughts about all that. I mean, I know you got mentioning selling platform and I hear uh, Alex say needs. I mean, we really are a needs-based business, meeting the needs of our clients on what they want or expectations. So I mean, if that is coming from the platform, the client only wants to meet there at the branch level or if they want to deepen and enhance their relationship and their needs are focused that way, we're there to help. You know, it's, it's how much they want to be involved or not involved with us. And we're there to fill that expectation and whatever their needs are. So I like the teamwork that you're implying, but let's back up to the kind of the question. Did you, Lyle, also experience a good second quarter, A, and then B, what's your outlook for the balance of the year going into next year? I would say productivity is up. I think we have a lot more tools and useful things at our fingertips. You mentioned COVID before. I think like most businesses and banks, there was a digital pathway forward, and that pathway was probably three to five years plus. I think when COVID hit, everyone had to compress and expedite that time frame. And like a one-year window, we were forced to, which was for the good and for the bad. But the digital pathway forward, you know, we came out with an awesome client relationship management tool that we call Bridge. A lot of our forms went online. Applications that were once physical turned digital. So, I mean, it's a best of both worlds. We're, we're able to provide more for our clients and also be useful and more helpful for us. So those are subjects that we'll dive into a little deeper in a little bit. But Alex, you mentioned advisors going deeper and doing a better job profiling, right, as part of the elements of success. And I think that is a good lead into our next question as we dive deeper into the subject of being a trusted advisor. So Bob, let me hand it over to you for that question. Absolutely. And being a trusted advisor, obviously, is the topic at uh, today. And in a lot of conversations we have all the time. So you know, today we have a trusted advisor with us, so we obviously want to tap into that in a big way. But let's first ask our sales manager, Alex, uh, a question about that. What does an advisor mean to you, and how important is that to growing and retaining assets under management? So I think as a sales leader, I look at this threefold. One, I look at it as a trusted advisor for the company. Are you doing all the things that we need you to do to help our business grow with the branches and form those partnerships. So it, it, it might not always be the top producer, but it's the person that's doing everything right to help us grow our business and be a good steward of our clients' money. Then you look at it from the branch perspective, right? Do they know, like, and trust you? Are you doing all the things? If, if Lyle left tomorrow, would his branch miss him? And the answer to that is most certainly yes. He's definitely part of his teams within the branches that he works. So they definitely know 
They definitely like them and they definitely trust them. So they have no issues referring their customers over to Lyle. And then I look at it, Bob, from the customer standpoint, right? Which is the most important. Lyle talked about meeting needs. And are our financial advisors providing the advice, guidance, and education to help them make better financial decisions to secure a better financial future? And so from a sales manager standpoint, that's how I kind of look at the trusted advisor from threefold, from a company standpoint, from a branch partnership standpoint, and from the client standpoint. So Lyle, talk to us a little bit about being that trusted advisor. Obviously, and I know you have background in branch, and actually, I think we share a position that we both had. I was a branch manager, and I know you were a branch manager in the past. And for all those listening, that's a great pool of talent that is untapped when you're looking to recruit financial advisors. Look towards your branch people. So let me get off that soapbox for a second and ask Lyle what it means to be a trusted advisor to you. So like you said, I mean, I was a branch manager before that, but even before that, I was, I've done every branch position from assistant branch manager to a banker to a teller even. But to me, a trusted advisor is someone that my clients and my friends and families and my clients can lean on for advice and education. More importantly, it's to teach them and educate them how to grow and save money consistently. But at the same time, being an advisor, we're mitigating those losses. A trusted advisor, you almost think of it as like a doctor or a dentist. If you go to a doctor for an ailment, the doctor should know how to cure you. You're going to go to see a different doctor. Go to a dentist for a toothache, they should be able to remedy that, or you're going to go to a different dentist. As a financial advisor, we're there to help clients with their financial needs. So if a client needs something or has any questions or need some answers, we're to be that go-to person. I mean, coming from the branch world, we're not just there for an eight to five job when the branches are open. I think of myself as on call 24 seven, just like that doctor scenario. If a client calls me with the questions or concerns at 6 a.m. or 11 p.m. at night, I'm gonna be there to answer that call or at least call them back first thing in the morning to try to alleviate and help them with whatever they might need. It's all about growing and retaining the assets, but it comes from the customer experience and communication and communication with the customers and your clients is going to be the best way to help solve it. Well, as I was saying before, a bank background, and I was also a teller, so I mean, what a parallel here. So apparently, if you were a teller and a branch manager, you can either be a financial advisor or be a co-host on a podcast. But <laughs> let me ask you, let me dive in a little bit. Alex, go ahead. You have you had a comment? Yeah, I would just say, Bob, I think you made an outstanding point. You know, when you work in a branch role, what does the career pathing look like? And I think it reasons one of the things that we've done is we've added financial advisor to the career pathing. When somebody comes in to the bank, if they want to get licensed and take this as a career path, Lyle's just one of several former branch managers that we have that are successful financial advisors. And as recruiting in our industry becomes more and more difficult, we're tapping into our licensed banker program to cultivate a bench, if you will, of associate financial advisors and financial advisors, depending upon their skill set at the time. So I think you make an excellent point, Bob, that it's a great pool for us to recruit from. Absolutely. We should do a podcast on that in the future because we I don't think we've done one on recruiting. But let me ask you one more question about this whole trusted advisor thing, because a lot of clients, they have a doctor and they have you. So do you sometimes feel like a life coach in addition? We have to be able to solve all their needs. So I mean, we're there now. If, if they have accounting questions, I'll kind of throw the asterisks in the air, like non-accountant, please refer to your CPA. But we're there to answer the basic questions of what they need and the financial objectives that they're trying to reach. So, yeah, we're being pulled in a thousand different directions. We wear a thousand hats on our head. But main thing is just focusing on what the needs of our clients are and meet those as the best of our ability. 
Absolutely. I can't agree more because I know I've heard stories of financial advisors being looked at for college planning, but not just the financial side of it. What schools are interesting for my kids to go to? And I think digging in deeper as a financial advisor and knowing the family rather than just the client in front of you to really deepen and strengthen that relationship. It's almost like family office, but, you know, in a lower, in a, in a, in a mass affluent or affluent way. Meeting the needs of the clients and getting to know their families, learn this very early on that eventually we're all going to pass away. So it behooves you to get to know the children of your clients because they will become your clients one day. And you don't want to be fired by the kids. Exactly. And, and we've exactly. had that happen over and over again in the industry. Yeah, that next layer of relationship is critical, right? I mean, if you're an advisor and you're not having at least a once a year meeting with the entire family for your most important clients, you're dropping the ball because those kids will not keep you if they don't have a relationship from now. So I think that's a best practice. So let's talk about best practices and go a little deeper into being a trusted advisor. So Lyle, I'm going to focus on you. And I do want to hear your thoughts on this as well, Alex. So let's start with Lyle. So in my mind, if you're an advisor, you only have one product, right? I mean, this audience has heard me say before, your, your products are not the investment vehicles you sell. Those are somebody else's products, right? Your only product, if you really boil it down, your only product is your process, right? The process by which your clients experience working with you. That is your product. That's your value added. That's how you earn your keep. So that process better be stellar, right? You better obsess over it. You better break it down and make sure every element in that process is as good as it can be and figure out ways to differentiate the different elements in your process. If you really want to be a standout advisor, right? So I want to get your thoughts on that, right? So your product is actually your process and it can be, should be your primary differentiator, but also Lyle, A, if you agree with that and B, if so, do you have what you would consider a standardized process? And if so, what do you think are the most important parts of that process as you look to deepen relationships with clients? Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. The differentiator is yourself. You know, whether you're a teller, a banker, a financial advisor, where a dime a dozen, they can go across the street and see somebody else if they're not meeting their needs. First of all, I'll say uh, Alex has said this time and time again, this is the hardest job you'll ever have, or it'll be the easiest job you'll ever have. Easiest meaning you'll have a defined process and you're sticking to it day in and day out. Hardest job you'll ever have because you have to be consistent literally every day. It's like the movie Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. You have to wake up every single morning and you're on 24 seven, you know, rinse and repeat day in and day out again on all the time. If you slack or you don't return calls, you're not meeting the needs of your clients or your bankers, then your work's going to suffer. Your clients are going to suffer. So again, differentiator is yourself. And I think I'm going to sound like a broken record probably going on and on, but it's about communication, either using a, a CRM tool that you have, or just coming up with one on your own, but meeting the needs of your branch partners and your clients. I mean, you want to be able to work with, especially with us, work with the branch channel and your bankers or branch managers, teammates. They're just as much as our clients as our actual clients are. So communication with them, uh, whether that's through email or phone call or just touching base with them every single day is just as important as calling our clients back. The consistency with our clients, you know, a simple example of that would be a sundown rule or a calling our clients back end of day. It sounds simple, but I don't think people do it all the time. If clients are calling you on a late Friday evening and returning a call, are you calling back the same night? Are you calling back Saturday morning? 
Or are you waiting till Monday morning, Monday evening to call that person back? You know, there's a huge difference in communication. You know, you have a scenario where the customer goes the entire weekend worried about what a problem could have been or could have been alleviated, or you could call them back and it could be avoided pretty quickly. So it's about having that same process and communicating with your clients as much as possible. I've never had a client ever tell me that they're communicating with too much. So it sounds like, Lyle, you have essentially defined a service level that you stick with, right? And service level as defined by things like what you just described. If I get a call from a client and they get my voicemail, I'm going to call them back within X, right? That's part of a service level that you're defining for yourself. And that to a degree defines your process, right? So that sounds like that's the way you're looking at things, correct? Yeah, exactly. And I know you mentioned like how, how has the process improved over the years? I think with tools the bank has given us have the awesome CRM tool that we call Bridge. You might know it as Salesforce, but we've kind of defined it as Bridge ourselves. You know, before we might have a thousand Excel spreadsheets that we potentially have leads and opportunities to or, or source things through. But now everything is centralized into one tool that we have a huge data and integration with our branch systems. Basically able to sort, filter everything through and be able to call our clients back and then also mark follow-ups, which is more important than just the leads. If you call a customer one time, try to do a lead, you might not answer the phone call. So call them back in two days, call them back in three days, consistently follow up with them, especially if they have a need that needs to be met. Yeah. So let me, I have two questions for you. So one is because you're mentioning basically operational stuff like CRM, which I think is critical, right? It has to be the center of your universe if you're a relationship-oriented advisor and it has to be fed with the right data, right? So ideally you have a you know a data pool that is feeding all of the stuff that is client-centric and you're getting a 360 view of the client. So the first question is operational and that is how much do you lean on your broker-dealer and you know just kind of give us a feel for the value added there because you guys use a third-party broker-dealer, right? So there has to be a good relationship for all this to work. So that's question one. Then I'll tell you question two after you answer that one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, we lean on, so Satera is our broker-dealer. Satera is a wealth of knowledge, whether it be from their sales channel or just experts with the paperwork. I say I've been in this now for what, eight to 10 years now. I call them constantly at least five to 10 times a day with tons of different needs. And they're always there to help service those. Again, we're their clients, so their job is to service us, and they do a fantastic job with that. Yeah, good to hear. They're good people there. I know them well. All right, so question two is what is, as you look at your process, right? So your differentiator is yourself, and you have defined your process, your service level. So as you look at your process, what would you say the most important part of your process is as you're working with your clients? Again, I'm going to, again, broken record, I'm going to sound like communication. So whether you're meeting with a client for the first time and you're going to call them back in two days from now, or you set up a new client relationship, you say, I'm going to have a, a two-day, two-week, two-month, one-year check-in with them. It's always about constant follow-up. It's about meeting the expectations of whatever they need now and then following back up with them for potential needs they might need later and just communication whether they're going on vacation, they have a sick cat at the house, follow up with them, get to know them as people, not just as clients. So you're implying what I believe, and that is, so this is my opinion, but you tell me if you agree, 
that the most important part of your process is discovery. And what I mean by that is truly understanding your client's needs, right? And discovery is not a one and done thing. It's ongoing because lives always change. And if you're asking the right questions and those questions lead to a profound understanding of your client's needs, especially their, you know, the emotional factors that influence their financial decisions, then you're becoming a true trusted advisor. So in my mind, the most important part of the process are the discovery elements in the process. Would you, I mean, is that a summation essentially of what you just described? Yeah, that is exactly correct. Since we're also in the branch channel, informing the bankers and your tellers of the same thing that's going on with your clients. You know, it takes a family to raise a child. Sometimes it takes a whole village to bring a sale or a person to lead it come in. So I might talk to the person about the same thing. I tell the teller, I tell the banker, hey, talk to them about this, talk to them about that. And it takes a whole relationship, the whole bank to communicate and to really give that service level that they expect they need. So teammates are important. So you know what? I love that because even if you look at it from a client standpoint, the fact that they're being serviced by a team makes them feel good, right? And you may be the quarterback of that team, Lyle, right? But you have other resources that you're bringing to bear to service as many needs as possible. So during this whole part of the discussion, I see Alex grinning in the background there. So I'm sure you you have some relative thoughts, Alex. So I'll pass it to you. (laughs) Yeah, I do, Scott. It it kind of brought me back to the first time we met up in New England for one of your roundtables and you doing your opening comments. And I thought to myself, wow. Scott really understands our business and, and understands process. And Lyle will tell you that, that I speak about process on a daily basis because I do believe that's what separates the good advisors from the also ranch. And I think it's true in any business, whether you're a football coach like Nick Saban who talks about process to the end of the day, you have to have a process. And, and I kind of break it down to three things for our team. You need to have a process around bridge. How are you going about contacting your clients How are you going about housing that data and how are you going about contacting them? So a process around bridge, a process around your branches. Lyle Lyle touched on it. He communicates with his branches on a daily basis, client by client. We call them daily huddles. They meet every morning and they meet every afternoon. Are you part of those huddles communicating so they know what you do? Or are you just the guy that takes the office up in the back of the branch? So being a part of that team and having a process around your book of business. How are you contacting your clients? How are you keeping in touch with them? Are you keeping in touch with them the way you want to keep in touch with them? Are you keeping in touch with them the way they want to be kept in touch with? And if you looked at Lyle's calendar, because I have looked at it, and you go out six months from now, he'll have it color-coded on who he needs to contact and what he needs to contact them about, whether it's a review, whether it's a form, you know, whether it's a beneficiary change. He knows exactly when and where he's going to contact that client and for what. So we have a process around everything. We talk about it a lot. I laughed when Lyle said, you know, we implemented Bridge and he used to have a thousand spreadsheets because he did. Back in our day, we had sticky notes, right? We had sticky notes all over the place. Now the financial advisor has one place where they can house everything that they need to work with their clients. So you talk about sticky notes and spreadsheets. So if I dig around in my closet enough, I will probably find my Franklin planner. Remember those? <laughs> <laughs> what about a Palm Pilot? Uh, right. Well, that was after a Franklin planner. Right. I, right. And we had to do one week of training on how to use the Franklin planner. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, man. That's pretty funny. All right, Bob, I'm going I'm to pass it back to you because a lot of what we talked about leads right into the question I know you want to ask. 
Exactly. And, you know, we're joking about um, a lot of these old technologies, so to speak. But, you know, we also talk about sales management, management book optimizations. And when we talk about those things, we frequently refer to segmentation. Okay, so Alex, let's talk about segmentation. How does segmentation factor into your program first overall? And then Lyle, secondarily, let's ask about how it affects you in your own practice. So, you know, I think a few things. Segmentation is an individual choice by the advisor, how they want to segment their book. Lyle and I had a conversation about this before, and he'll share his thoughts on it. The optimum way, you know, not optimum way, but the way most people do it is they have A, B, and C, and D clients. We have the same thing. One of the things that we're working on now is how do we best service those C and D clients, right? So is that through an associate advisor? Is that through our house broker system? What's the best way to stay in contact with those clients? And Scott, you mentioned earlier, you know, our broker dealer, Satera, has several tools that help us segment the book of business. And so the advisors have used those as well. But segmentation, Bob, is really a, you know, an individual choice. We don't force to them, hey, look, we want you to segment this many. We want you to keep this many households. We haven't gotten to that point yet. And it's really up to the individual advisor. And I would imagine that with the increase in technology, it's become easier to really look at a book of business and, you know, serve it in different ways based on what the customer's needs are. But let me ask you about your platform program, because you have 2,000 platform bankers in addition to FAs, associate advisors and sales assistants. How do they factor into it as well? So we have a team of branch investment consultants that help us train and sales manage, if you will, the licensed banker program. I have a fantastic team of five that cover my area. And again, I'm going to go back to the financial advisors because everything starts from the ground up in our program. The financial advisors do a great job of working with their licensed bankers, understanding what the opportunities are for those licensed bankers. So no sale is made in Lyle's offices or any one of our offices where the financial advisor isn't part of the process. Now, it could be a $10,000 fixed annuity that was sold, or it could be a $100,000 fixed annuity. And we'll follow up. You know, I think you guys mentioned earlier, it's something that is in some of my daily emails. Are we asking the right questions? So that licensed banker doesn't have the same experience as some of our financial advisors. So they might not have asked all the right questions. But at some point, we're going to profile that client to make sure that we've asked all the right questions. So we make sure that that customer is getting their needs met, whether it be by the licensed banker program, because that's all it could be, Bob, or it could go to the financial advisor program where, you know, they offer a much wider array of solutions than our licensed banker program. Our licensed bankers only sell fixed annuities. Okay. Anything other, anything other than a fixed annuity, they refer to the financial advisors. Yeah. Let me, let me go back to, is there a, a number of platform folks that are associated with each FA. I go back in the day when I was on the bank side, I was a program manager. We used to call it player coach. Thankfully, we now call it team because I think that's much more positive than player coach. A lot of that's dictated by the branch because the branch, as you guys know, staffing is a challenge. I was talking this morning to one of our area investment executives about this. You know, you used to walk into one of our main offices and there'd be six people there, seven people there, five behind the window, two on the floor, and a branch manager. Lyle can tell you, you walk into some of our branches now, there's one teller, one person on the floor, and a branch manager. And if COVID hit, we might not even be able to open up the branch. So it's really incumbent upon the branch when they bring people in to get people licensed. As I mentioned earlier, we have a team of branch investment consultants that help us through that licensing process. 
And then when the person gets licensed, we do have the financial advisor get involved for the coaching and mentoring of that licensed banker and how we all want to work together to service the client. Excellent. I think this is going to be a commercial for bringing back platform programs as well. So Lyle, talk to us about what segmentation means to you in your book of business and how you go about your business. Since my entire career has been in the branches, it's all about servicing the clients. So we try to treat everyone the same way. You know, whether it's a client that has $5,000 off the street or they're retiring with $500,000, it's about giving the level of experience that's uh, the same to each client. Every client here at the bank is treated the exact same way. So for myself, I just try to separate that into more of a needs-based segment rather than a, a dollar amount. A $500,000 client might not need to be contacted every single month at the same time. And maybe they only need to be contacted once a year. So it depends on what they're being placed into and what kind of account that they have, you know, whether they need to be contacted monthly, quarterly, annually, whether they have a brokerage account with, say, high volatility, or if they're in a fixed solution for X amount of years. At the very least, all of your clients should be contacted yearly, but it's about setting that expectation from day one with them and then communication. It's almost like setting a service level agreement with the client to just determine, do I need to talk to you monthly, quarterly, annually? And I think you mentioned earlier, you've never had a client tell you that you've over-communicated. Never had anyone tell me I've over-communicated. Maybe with a lead from a bank, uh, if I'm calling on them, I know I'll call them 20 times. And very few rare times I'll get that one client says, hey, stop calling me. And my always joke is, you know, well, if you would have answered the first time, I wouldn't have called you the other 19 times. So. <laughs> exactly. You know, and when I talk about service level agreements, we're talking about just having that annual meeting with the client, which is one, maybe inviting them into a seminar, which would be two. The next one might be just a, you know, a courtesy call at some point to say, let me just check it and see how you're feeling. You know, communication, you know, it just makes a lot of sense. And getting that agreement with the client is so important. Well, you know, we were talking about technology earlier, and I just sent an email this morning to my team. We have a tool through Satera called Marketing Central, and we had one of our advisors just send out a communication just about inflation and what's your personal inflation. So that's just another way that in the olden days, Bob, we wouldn't be able to communicate with our clients that way. Now with a click of a button, Lyle can send a communication out to all of his clients, whether it be about inflation, whether it be about volatility. He can segment his clients in that marketing central tool. So if he has mutual fund clients, he can send out a mutual fund message. If he has fixed annuity clients, he can send out a fixed annuity message. So technology has come a long way in helping us communicate and touch our clients. What a perfect layup. But again, what's volatility? We had COVID thrown at us. So what, what is this volatility? I mean, seriously. Exactly. So that was just a perfect lead in because I think Scott was raising his hand. And we'll also take the next question. Yeah. Kind of a technology slant. Right. And before I get into that question, that's kind of technology oriented, Lyle, let me ask you a question about scaling, right? Because as you describe working with your clients and communicating with them the ways they want to be communicated, eventually you run up against a hard wall, right? And that is the amount of hours you have in any given year to work with clients. So I've done the math on that, right? And so the way the math works is if you're and my initial estimate may be close or not, but my initial estimate is that if you look at what you have to do with your client, your average client will take about eight hours per year in total, right? So then you calculate how many hours you have a year to work with clients. So you have to back out stuff like branch meetings and all the admin stuff you have to do. And, you know, there's a bunch of stuff that's not client facing you have to do. So you have to back that out. And that's typically about a third of your time, right? 
So that leaves you, and if you back out, let's say two weeks of vacation, and then do the math. So eight divided into the hours that you have left. And I forget the exact number, but I've done this math. It leaves you with about being able to manage 200 clients, literally, right? If you do that math. So you have to figure out a way to scale. So that's my question. How, how have you done that? Have you done that math? Are you conscious of that limit that you're going to hit? Because most advisors in our channel are trying to manage 750 clients and it's not possible doing that at a high level. It's just not. So how, how do you manage that? So maybe I haven't gone to the extent of doing that math equation. <laughs> I know when I first started out, I didn't have a sales assistant or anyone helping me out because I didn't have a book of business. And throughout the year, we've added sales assistants here at Regions, which has been fantastic. Now, when I was looking for my own sales assistant, I could have hired someone from outside. I thought, what's the best way to get a sales assistant than hiring a banker that I know and already trust? So fortunate enough to kind of onboard her to this side. And we have a defined separation. If it comes to producing and meeting with clients, then that process falls under me. If it's anything back office servicing, monthly, yearly reports to our home office or Cetera or to our back office regions, you know, that's going to fall under her. She's great at customer service and calling people back or getting forms updated, beneficiaries updated. And I could spend hours of my time doing that, but I'm able to kind of offload that work to her and she does a great job. And then I can focus on the customer experience, meeting with new people, yearly meetings and doing that. So it all, all kind of goes back to having that defined process and the customer experience. Yeah. So you're leveraging teammates again, right? I mean, bottom line, right? That's the only way you could scale if you have teammates to lean on. So the question that Bob was inferring is really focused on kind of the pandemic as a catalyst, right? So the pandemic was a catalyst for a number of different ways in which we've changed the way we're doing business. Obviously, remote technology is a big part of that. So Lyle, this is, you know, again, a, a kind of a functional question, but do you do, because of the pandemic, do you do more remote meetings now? Have you figured out like what are the best types of meetings to do remotely versus face-to-face? -face? So has your practice changed because of the pandemic in ways that have been beneficial? I mean, I would say as of today, it's business as normal. First off, I'll say I'm very fortunate to live in Georgia and North Georgia that businesses and, and work processes, we luckily everything stayed open. I know it wasn't the same way around the nation. It's a tough time of six to eight weeks here while we all kind of figured it out and stayed safe adapt to the pandemic and here to involve CDC guidelines and government guidelines, maintain like a safe work environment. Of course, that meant like more Zoom meetings, WebExes, FaceTime. I would say while the pandemic was going on even today a little bit, but it's kind of all returned to normal here in, in North Georgia, at least, but meeting the needs of our clients. So, you know, in 2020, when everything was going on, I would say it was a willingness to travel and meet the clients wherever they felt most comfortable. You know, I've done tons of meetings in branch parking lots because they might not have wanted to come inside, met with people in their own driveways, porches, coffee shops, parks, you name it. We've probably had a meeting there, but it's just the ability to adapt and do whatever your clients want. So if they want to meet me in a coffee shop, if they want me to come to their house, I'm willing to travel to go there. So do you find that you're using like Zoom type meetings more now than you did before the pandemic or no, is it fully back to normal? In the interim, we were using the FaceTime and Zoom and WebExes. I would say now it's completely back to normal as if nothing ever happened before. Because some advisors tell us that they will 
since the pandemic, they will never give up remote meetings for a portion of their meetings, right? So they've literally segmented meetings. These are the type of meetings that I have to be face-to-face with with my client. These are the type of meetings that are just as effective, if not more effective remotely. So we're seeing some of that, right? And I don't know what the best practices are around that yet because it's evolving, but it's just a, it's an interesting trend. All right, Alex, you have some yes, I, I would just pick up on that and say, what COVID gave us was adaptability, right? So as we talked earlier, we have a licensed banker program. And in Lyle's area, you know, I don't know Lyle specifically, but Lyle, your furthest branch from one to the other may be 25 miles away. So a licensed banker is now sitting with a client. They realize the needs are more than just a fixed annuity. It used to be that that advisor would have to set up an appointment, drive 30 miles the next day to go meet with that client. Now we can just get that advisor on a Zoom call or a FaceTime call and have the conversation with the client, determine what the best solution is and whether it's selling a fixed annuity or setting an appointment for a later date. You know, we can do that all now through Zoom, where before COVID, that idea wouldn't have even been surfaced. So I I do believe it's made the advisors more productive for some of those type meetings. But with our bank clients, like Lyle said, it's really their want and need is to meet with their financial advisor face-to-face. Our average client is 62 years old. They want to meet face-to-face. Okay. That makes sense. Lyle, you had some additional thoughts? Yeah. I was going to say being in the branch channel, whether you're 25 years old or 75 years old, I encourage everyone to come into the branches. It's that relationship building. I can introduce them to the tellers, the bankers, the branch manager. They can shake hands with somebody. And there's a, like an old school way of thought of if you can meet somebody in person and put that face-to-face instead of just doing it digitally, it's going to add more warmth and depth to the conversation. You know, Scott, I think it's also important to talk about our geography as well. We're in the Southeast. So with the exception of Atlanta, Miami, Tampa, a lot of our locations are those rural locations where people still do business with a handshake. Yeah, which is nice, right? I mean, that's that's that kind of relationship relationship warmth type stuff that makes a difference, right? And I guess culturally, there's a difference between the cities and the country, right? I mean, there is. I've lived in both, so I've totally experienced that. And there's still probably to this day, you go to New York City and people are nervous about getting together in person. I've just experienced that with somebody I was talking to on the phone, right? So much less so in the, I mean, I live in a country town. Alex, you've been here, so you know, right? So there's none of that here. (laughs) Right. North Georgia. (laughs) Lyle talked about his sales assistant, sales help. So we have what's called an associate financial consultant program. And so what we've done, Scott, is I'll break it down three ways. We either hire someone like Lyle has, who just helps him with his operational stuff. We've hired someone who has an aspiration to become a financial advisor. So they may work for one, two, or three financial advisors and and they're learning on the go. And then we have one that does more than operations. They may get on the phone and book appointments, do operations, but they have no desire to be a financial advisor. They just want to help the business. And we implemented that program probably two years ago. We started it in earnest. And now we have, I think, throughout our footprint, 26 of them, somewhere around that range. And what we found over those two years, the average advisor that uses an associate financial advisor in their business has grown their business by $70,000. So if one person shares, if two people or three people share an associate financial advisor, they're growing the business for the firm by $210,000. So that's a good investment for us. 
And like Lyle says, it helps him to free up his time to do the things that he's best at. And we don't want the Lyle Mowers of the world doing change of beneficiary forms. We want them in front of his clients as often as he can be. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, I think that it's time to wrap this up with a lightning round question, if I'm not mistaken. Right, Bob? Is that where we are? Yes, Scott, you're absolutely right. It is time for our lightning round question. And for this month, it's the hazy, hot, humid heat wave edition of the lightning round question, which, of course, has to be reflective of the heat wave that's surrounding us all over. So, Lyle, beach, pool, or lake? And you know what? I'll even throw in sprinkler. Do you have a favorite and or rank them? (laughs) In the heat of summer, I'm going to say lake. We're really close to Lake Alatoona. It's a dammed up river, basically. Luckily enough, though, my family has a boat and dry stack there. So call them 30 minutes ahead of time. They've got a forklift, puts in the water for us. We're boating, skiing, tubing with the kids. It's a great time. What's the water temperature in the lake? Bath water. It's bath. (laughs) There we go. You see, that's why I threw sprinkler in there, because that's usually the coldest. Alex, beach, pool, lake, or sprinkler? I would say, Bob, I'm blessed to live on the water. So I would say the Gulf of Mexico. I say spend a lot of time on my boat out on the water. Uh, I love it. I have a place in Florida, but I have to pass the pool before I get to the beach. So that's kind of a toss up for me. But Scott. Yeah, I'm definitely a beach person. I, I like the beach, the ocean. We live close to Cape Cod. So that's where we escape to for the beach. So I'm all about that, especially if you can find a desolate beach that you can go for long walks on and get away from the crowds. That's uh, that's nice. Uh, yes. Bob, how about you? Well, since I have to pass the pool before I get to the beach, I go to the pool, <laughs> the Atlantic, and then I go back into the pool to clean off. So, you know, it's a little bit of everything. And if I'm passing a sprinkler, I'll walk through it, not around it. I would just add to Scott's. The great part about the boat, Scott, is once I get 10 miles offshore, cell service no longer works. Perfect. So there's no choice. But you have a better connection. (laughs) Exactly. With the stuff that really matters, right? Exactly. (laughs) And I have a story about Bob's pool. So Bob has a place down in Florida that he spends half of his time in. And so we had back in February, we had a, uh, what was it? A three-day meeting. And at the end of that, well, so it was three days of meetings and we just happened to go out every night too. (laughs) And at the end of that, Bob and I were beat. So we're like, all right, let's just go for the first time in those three days, just hang by your pool for just a little bit. Where we both fell asleep, and I'm sure we were both snoring. And everybody was looking at us like, "What the hell did those two guys do for the last three days?" <laughs> True story. So, yep, I can relate to your pool, Bob. All right, well, I think that's a wrap, and we appreciate you guys participating. This was a really good discussion. Your insights are valuable, and I know our listeners will get a lot from the discussion. I do want to give a shout out. I know Alex, your teammates are Jim Nonengard and Mark Backus. I know both of them well. I'd like to give a shout out to them. They are some of the best out there as well. So with that, Bob, let me pass it to you for closing comments. Well, thanks so much. And before I close with comments, let me go give you all my top three takeaways from today's discussion, because if I don't, I get phone calls and I don't want the phone calls. So number one, volatility is nothing, I believe Alex said. COVID was thrown at us. So when you start thinking about how tough it is to work in these markets, think back two years. Do you have a hiring issue? You have pools of candidates right in front of you in your branches. So look there for candidates. Number three, which is a three-parter. Being a trusted advisor, 
not just for your customer, but for the branch and for the company. So there's three parts to being a trusted advisor. You know, I, I have a fourth as a bonus. Lyle said he's never had a client tell him that he's over communicating. So there you go. You got a bonus one this month for our heat wave edition. So thank you to our participants. Alex, Lyle, thank you so much. Thanks to the BISA for their partnership and Jeff Hartney. Thank you, Ameriprise, for your sponsorship. One more thing about the BISA, they have their regulatory and compliance conference in November. So go to BISA website to find out more about that. And don't forget to subscribe to this series of podcasts and our others, Industry Leadership and Success and Untangling FinTech, all available wherever you get your podcasts, because we know you get podcasts other than this one. With that, it's a wrap. I think that's it. Scott, say goodbye. Goodbye, Scott. <laughs> goodbye, y'all. Thanks all right, so much. Bye, everybody. Thanks Got again. It. Thank you for joining us for this episode of BISA Industry Trend Watch. And thanks to Ameriprise for their much appreciated support. Be sure to subscribe to our two other podcast series, Industry Leadership and Success, focused on industry-leading performance and success stories, and Untangling FinTech, aimed at helping you keep up with the evolution of technology offerings in our industry. Goodbye until next month.